Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. series we're in this thing called lent if you i say it like like i resent it like we're in this thing called lent i'm actually a big fan of lent i'm pro lent right pro lent and lent is a um part of the um easter celebration on sundays we're supposed to celebrate resurrection yeah woo, and get all worked up and then during the day you know lent we're like oh i'm kind of sad so it's a it's a following tradition of jesus being in the wilderness for four days or the christ is kind of working out some stuff, essentially. That's really what it is. The Christ is being tempted, figuring out what does the Christ mean and what is it to be and do all these sacred things. And so Lent is a time where we kind of evaluate. We talked about snakes. We talked about water. And today it's called Lent and converts. Yeah? Doesn't that word make you feel happy inside? Right? You hear the word convert, and you're like, mm, yes, please. I'll have some more. Right? There's never a time where you, like, get together with your buddies, like, hey, what do you want to do? We want to get some converts? Yeah, let's, let's go do that. But it, the word, um, and it's one of my favorite things, is reimagining words, concepts, like evangelism, salvation, discipleship, words that, for some people, they're just not interested in that language anymore, and I am, and I want to see the fullness of um, what those words are and what they mean. And um, conversion is one of them. But the reason that we don't, like, celebrate conversion or we say it is because it's usually met with violence, right? Like, you guys ever heard of Manifest Destiny before? Right? Manifest Destiny is, like, uh, people show up in the land and they're like, oh, God clearly wants us to take this land. And the people on the land are like, we disagree. We are here. <laughs> and they're like, oh, but our God said we get the land. And they're like, our God said everyone gets the land. And they said, well, you have to join our God in order to get the land. And they're like... No, we don't, because we're here, right? That's kind of how it works. And so they would force conversions. Conversions is usually with force, um, or the way that most people think about it is usually with force or violence. And unless, whoever you are, you have to be something different in order to get the best of this community, this God, this land, whatever it might be. But luckily for us, we've all gone through conversions, right? We've all had ways, and not just spiritually, but intellectually, physically. We have had this way of being or knowing or doing, and we have transferred that energy into something else, a new way of seeing, a new way of thinking, new way of belonging, new way of loving. Um, and those stories are beautiful, but they're messy, right? Conversions are messy, incredibly messy. And the problem is, is that there's, there's people um, who are not so much interested in the conversion they're interested in how you got to where you are. I get this question all the time. Hey, Chris, how did you come into this way of thinking or being or knowing? And I love those meetings. I have those meetings all the time. And then there's people who ask the very same question, but with a very different tone. Hey, you with the face, how did you come into that way of thinking? How the way did you come in that way of being? Right? And they usually do this. Um, and I give every person, uh, man, I'm slapping myself in the back right now. I give every person one meeting, because when I was in a different space, when I did the same, like, hey, how did you come into that way of being, people were gracious enough to meet with me. 
and they helped me become to where I am today. And so I give every person um, uh, one meet. Why am I telling you that story? Oh, so um, I had someone recently, uh, uh, hey, Chris, can I talk with you? And I'm like, sure, let's talk. And they said, hey, I'm really concerned of you hold these beliefs and that you're going to hell. And this is literally what they told me. Um, I don't want us to be standing in heaven and where God begins to separate the people and then you look at me and you say, hey, why didn't you tell me that I was wrong? And he, he, they thought that would get me to convert back to what they believed. And it helps that, A, I don't believe in conscious torment, hell. That kind of <laughs> helps a lot there, right? Uh, and I just said, wow, thank you for sharing that with me. I really did take that out of love. Then I said, um, can you see that I've never been happier? Can you see that I've never loved this God or Christ? I've never, like, appreciated the Bible or find more inspiration in this sacred text ever in my life. Can you see that I'm not, like, full of anxiety and fear like I used to be? That I have to do the right thing, be the right thing, like, all the right things. And if I, as soon as I stop doing that, then I'm bad. I don't believe that anymore. And the person could not see me. That person could not see me as a human. They saw me as a series of decisions that were wrong. And that's where a lot of people live, right? Like, what kind of world, what kind of family, what kind of circle of friends could we be if we choose to believe people? And we could choose that when you have those conversions, when you have those discoveries, have those awakenings, we could, like, celebrate it. And I think we should ask each other questions. I think we should say, hey, how did you come to make that decision, right? How did you come, did, how did you get into real estate, right? Like, how did you become the Polish hammer, right? Like, uh, we, we should ask those questions, but out of this place of wonder and curiosity, instead of like, you're wrong. And throughout the Bible, there's all these conversion stories. Man, I love using that word. <laughs> all these converts are in the Bible, and they have a similar story of some people celebrating and some people saying, this doesn't belong. And so my hope where we end up is this Lenten season is that you can, like, take inventory, take stock of where you're at. And where did you come from? What ways have you grown this past year? What ways have you um, evolved? What ways have you converted through something? Instead of looking back at, in, in shame, right, uh, looking at it as a way of celebration. And then what things can we still, like, continue to evolve and grow through? So, um, there's some people who believe that um, we don't preach the Bible here, right? And on the record, I'm reading an entire chapter of the Bible. So, anyone who says they say, no, look, one day we read an entire chapter. And um, I often don't do this, but I thought this would be, um, would be fun. And it's like four minutes. I timed myself reading it just because if it was like 17 minutes, I'm like, no, hard pass. Um, but it's John chapter 9, reading out of the message. And I'm going to give some commentary in the middle of it, and then we're going to talk about some takeaways. John chapter 9. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, because uh, something caused him to be blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work, for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light, and I am the world's light. Pause. 
in, when reading John, I've said this the last couple weeks, but pay attention of when John says time or dates or light and darkness because he's like revealing that there's something else uh, or there's something more going on. Uh, I am the world's light. Uh, verse 6. He said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, why, isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him, all right. But others objected. It's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. He said, hey, guys, it's me. Yep, the very one. I like how I'll be like, that's not really him. And he's close enough to hear it. He's like, no, it's me. I'm right here. I can hear you. Um, verse 10. Uh, they said, how did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. Do you see that he avoids the whole getting spit on piece? I, I noticed that. He just, he's like, oh, someone made paste. Yeah. Instead of someone spit on me. Um, uh, so he wa when I washed, I saw. Verse 12. So where is he now? I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees. And this day when Jesus made the paste and healed the blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again and how he had come to see. Uh, he said he put a clay paste on my eyes and washed. Now I see. The Pharisees said, obviously, this man cannot be from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Others countered, how can a bad man do miraculous God-revealing things like this? There was a split in their ranks. They came back, to the, and the blind, they came back at the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe it, didn't believe the man was blind even to begin with. So they called the parents of the man, now bright-eyed with sight, and they asked him, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it that now he can see? His parents said, we know he's our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see, having a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man and can speak for himself, like every healthy parent. <laughs> he's a grown man, leave me alone. Um, his parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. And that's why his parents said, ask him, he's a grown man. Verse 24, they called the man back a second time, the man who had been blind, and told them, give credit to God, we know this man is an imposter. He replied, I know nothing about the one, one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure, I was blind, and now I see. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you over and over and over again, and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? <laughs> Which is like, you love it so much, why don't you marry it? So, <laughs> With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure what God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man even came from. The man replied, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, he, he would not be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? And then they threw him out on the street, just like great people. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and he went and found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Do you not recognize my voice? 
Master, I believe, the man said, and worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything clear to the light of day, making this, the distinctions clear so those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. I love that story, right? I, I love the, the, the comedy in it. Uh, they keep bringing this guy in, and they're like, no, no, you're clearly wrong. He's like, no, I can see. Like, I can see your big toe, and it's disgusting. I, <laughs> I didn't see it before. I can see it now. So there's a couple takeaways here uh, when it comes to, to Lent and um, conversion. The first one is that, um, like, conversions are just messy, right? They're messy. Jesus spit in the mud. And there's people who say, Bible says it, I believe it. I actually watched, there's a viral video, if you really want to go watch, this pastor spit on another man. Did anyone see that? It was a mega church, right? Spit another man saying, sometimes we have to just like do disgusting things in order for the gospel. And I am anti-spit, right? I don't even like my own saliva, let alone anyone else's. So um, I think we should do the words and works of Christ, just minus this one, right? <laughs> and I already said, but I love how like, he just like, ignores the story of how the clay was made. He's like, oh, I got some paste. With what? Paste, man. That's what I got. So, um, but they're, they're, they're messy. And how it starts is the disciples walk by and they say, hey, Jesus, um, what caused this man to be blind? And they believe that like, if you did evil things, or no, pause. If something caused you to be abnormal, something that caused you to not be part of the dominant normal society or culture, clearly you didn't do something wrong. The person before you, generation, generational sin, generational curse, um, led you to be born blind. Um, there's another story in the Bible where they ask wh- why, what happened that this tower fell on these people and killed them. Clearly, God did that because they can't explain why they're born blind. They can't explain why there's evil in this world. It must be that God did it which is very uh, problematic. And I read a couple of commentaries about this, and one guy was trying to, like, explain, like, well, the, the mud and the spit is like God, in Genesis, God created all these things. And I'm like, yeah, fine, I'm happy for you. If that brings the inspiration, go for it. The point is, it can be messy, but there's still a conversion, right? We, we can see that Jesus is telling a different story. They're asking, what happened that caused this to happen? And Jesus saying, what if the light is happening right now and we could all be a part of it? What if we can go out and bring this new life, bring this new energy? And I'm going to use, John doesn't use the word miracle. John uses the word sign. Jesus does these works as a sign, something that's pointing to a higher way of being human, a more fullest expression of what life can be. Like we said, this guy doesn't belong. Why? Because he's blind. He doesn't belong. He's just a blind guy. But all of a sudden he sees that everyone's interested. Jesus reveals well, why are we excluding some? Why are we labeling some? And it's really, really messy. And the point is, like, the guy who talked to me and said, hey, you evil hell person, right? And said, instead of being able to see me who I really am, Jesus is exposing the same thing. Can we just see people in their humanity and celebrate with them when they can celebrate? Other thing about conversions is that the, the, the people could not see this man. They didn't see a man. What did they see? They see a blind guy. They're like, hey, remember that blind guy? No one, no one gives him a name, right? He's even walking around, and they're like, <laughs> and clearly a man came up with this. They're like, that can't be the blind guy. 
He just looks like the blind guy, right? That's just, that's a horrible excuse. And like I said earlier, the guys, I can imagine the guy saying, no, I'm right here. Like, uh, yeah, me, was blind. Maybe we should call him like the was blind guy. Isn't that kind of funny? Because now I see a guy, right? And we do this all the time. We don't see people. We label people. We put people into groups. We put people into these large chunks because it makes us feel better, honestly. It makes it easier for us to think through, right? I think traditionally the people of neighborhood have been a little bit more um, progressive, a little bit more liberal. And uh, to call us out, we do this all the time. We can say, well, you know those people who voted for Trump, right? And then we have all these feelings, and feelings are good. Feelings are valid. But then we might have judgment and say, oh, all these people do this, are like this. And why do we do this? Because it makes us feel better. We feel like, oh, we're the woke people. We're the right people. We're the correct people. We do this with maybe a circle of friends. Um, they have a kid that is maybe did something bad did something hard, did something really painful. And that kid is just the kid who did that really bad thing. No longer is it Johnny. It's Johnny who did that bad thing. Maybe you know someone at work, and they advocated for a divorce. And you're like, oh, yeah, that divorce person, <laughs> right? And even though it was the best decision they could make because they were living a hard life, you could still say, oh, the divorce person. It might be the single person. It might be the person who had the affair. It might be the bleeding heart liberal or the crazy conservative, it, when we label people, we dehumanize them. And that's what they're doing. They can't believe that this blind guy has a story, has a purpose, has dreams, wants something more than just being the blind guy. And Jesus exposes that. And it begs the question, how often do we, like, label ourselves? Right? How often do we say, well, this is all I can be. This is all who I'll ever be. One... <laughs> I, I meet with a lot of couples who want to get married, and um, the, the people who um, are getting married don't really like talking to pastors. <laughs> I can tell you, they do it because they're like, uh, I'm kind of obligated. And the reason why is that um, most people, almost every person I marry, live together, right? And they usually apologize. Hey, I'm really sorry, but we have the same address. And I'm like, yeah, that's what couples do, right? And one couple, they're like, um, hey, how long have we been engaged? They're like, oh, about seven years. I'm sorry. I'm like, who told you? Who told you that being engaged for seven years is evil? Who told you it's bad? Who told you that living to, are, are you in a committed, consensual, caring relationship? Are you two grown, healthy adults that can make a decision about what's best for you? Who told you that's evil? Who told you that is, there's this standard, and then you're clearly down here? They, they wear that label on them. They put that label on themselves. Instead of saying, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. <laughs> maybe, maybe start with that one. That when we limit ourselves, oh, like, uh, I was just talking to um, this young person, and they were talking about, in the church that they were a part of, there was never a single person that talked they had this big conference, and there was no single person represented on stage. And they're like, can you not see that over half the people at this conference are single? Like, talk about your marriage. That's great. We're happy for you. But there's more to life than me finding a partner. I'm actually really happy where I'm at right now. So when we label people, when we label ourselves, we can miss out on this new way of being, these new opportunities. And then uh, the obvious takeaway 
is when those people who have power and something happens outside of their system, funny how the empire is not a big fan of that. They see what's happening and they feel threatened. They, oh, I guess, I guess that, that's me making meaning out of it. It seems, it's not hard to imagine that one way of thinking of this is that they feel threatened because there's this urgency. Hey, blind guy, now you see, how did it happen? And it, it's, it's in the same way with the woman at the well, there's this progression with the story and who Jesus is. Because he starts, it's just a guy named Jesus. They're talking about him. Then it goes, he's a prophet. And where does it end? He worships him, calls him Lord. And um, the people in power and the family and the friends are all up in arms of this doesn't happen, right? This guy did this healing on the Sabbath. He's evil, well, not evil, he's a sinner. He's a bad guy. He's outside of our experience. He's outside of our culture. He does not fit in our system, does not compute, right? And they cannot believe that he is healed. They can't believe that he can really see, even though he says, I think, three times, I don't know how to answer your question. I was blind. Now I see. Can you believe me? And the people kept saying, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. And when those in power or when we are in a system of power, let's use that, right? Because we're all in systems of power within our relationships, in our workplace, whatever it might be. When you're in that system and something outside of your system takes place, you have an option to believe them or to not believe them, right? Or you could ignore it, which is a way of just not believing them. And they could not understand that maybe this God that worked great in their system Right? Worked wonderful in that system. Now there's this new story. There's this new life. There's these new things happening. And they can't even see it. They can't believe it. Which we do all the time. Like there is beautiful and amazing things happening that are outside of my experience. Out of what I might even say is true. There's people who have totally different uh, revelations or inspiration that can be different from me. And there was a time where that felt really scary. I don't know if anyone else has ever felt that before. People are saying, oh, I have this new dream. Like my kid is, what, 16, 16, 13, 10, yes. There's going to be, <laughs> what? The, he's small, yes, yes. Uh, like my son um, is going to do things that are different than what I'd prefer he do, right? And they have already done that, <laughs> clearly. Oh, I could talk forever on that one. But right then, and I can either respond of saying, that's not how we do things around here, right? Be like me, right? Like, like sports like me, like all these things. Or I can let my kid have his own experience, autonomy over his own body, over his own life, over his own dreams, and be frustrated at him, but also celebrate with him. And so what I hope for you is that you can look back and see where have you come from. What things have you converted to or converted from, right? What things have you found inspiration and that energy is transferred and launched you into like this, these wide open spaces of love and beauty? And also, like what do we still need to convert? What things do we still need to find inspiration, love, hope, and healing? And lastly, I would encourage us to be aware of how do we use um, our power? How do we use our energy? Are we the people who are willing to believe other people? Or are we a group of people who look and say, hmm, that's different. We don't like that. Because there's, like, there's this way of um, uh, fundamentalism, right? 
I, I came from a very fundamentalist um, evangelical setting and walked away from that. And once I stepped out of it, um, people call it deconstruction, whatever word you want to use, um, I was able to say, wow, that is significantly more fundamental than I even realized. But it's not too hard, right? It's not too hard to walk away from that and say, oh, I don't want to be a part of that fundamental circle, and then go and start your own fundamental circle. But you just have different words. You have different language. Right? Even though you might still set up really firm, hard boundaries and say those people are bad and we're good. What I hope for us is that we can move in a place of freedom, love, and inclusion. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to bounce. Five just keys. It's fine. When someone leaves in a room that's really small, it's hard not to like, well, let's all pretend like it's not happening. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, happy for you. See ya. <laughs> I'm glad that everyone online got to watch me say goodbye to our friends. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. So God, we love you. And we say thank you for the light. I thank you that you came to expose all things from the way that we label people, the way we label ourselves, the way that uh, the empire, the way that we use our power to move people into more places where we get to be in power. Instead, I ask God that we can use that love, our agency, our inspiration to believe people, to see people, and I pray you help us be able to um, celebrate and recognize all the things that we have left behind. And how we found uh, life and love and belonging, maybe in a very messy way, maybe in a crazy way, maybe in an incredibly boring way. Still, let us be able to celebrate that we are a new creation. And help us continue to move and evolve, include and belong. And we love you. Amen. Well, thank you, friends, for being in this space with me. Thank you for all online who are watching, and have a great rest of your weekend.